This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. This hearing is now in session. Under the authority vested in me by Starfleet Command, I declare all charges and specifications in this matter have been dropped. Jim, agreed you have the authority. Mr. Spock, I believe our heading takes us near the Sete Alpha star system. Quite correct, Captain. Planet number five there is habitable, although a bit savage, somewhat inhospitable. But no more than Australia's Botany Bay colony was at the beginning. Those men went on to tame a continent, Mr. Khan. Can you tame a world? Have you ever read Milton, Captain? I understand. This hearing is closed. shame for a good Scotsman to admit it, but I'm not up on Milton. The statement Lucifer made when he fell into the pit. It is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Huh. Would be interesting, Captain, to return to that world in a hundred years and learn what crop had sprung from the seed you planted today. Yes, Mr. Spark. It would indeed. Hey, Scuttlebutt Nation, welcome back to our discussion on the Wrath of Khan, part two. Charles and I just kept that conversation going. We had so much fun talking, Trek. Sorry, Pat. Charles and I are going to start another channel, a Star Trek podcast. Let's start thinking of a podcast name, Charles. All right, I digress, and I'm just kidding, Pat. Having spent some significant time talking about the classic Trek episode Space Seed from the original series, let's continue part two, which is already in progress. Chekhov, who realizes he's given too much information to Khan at this point, and now he's clammed up like oh i'm not gonna say anything and then they drop these two little earbuds in their uh in their canals helmets. and some yeah oh the helmets and they swish you know swirl them yeah. around ah oh, what a scene that is crazy creepy And, you know, I, I love Ricardo Montalban's uh, demeanor in this. He's just very calm. He's grabbing them. He puts them in the helmet, and then he just talks. He th- His description of how they wrap around your ear canal, your cerebrum. These, of course, are pets. Um, just phenomenally, phenomenally scary, man. His delivery of those lines. Yeah. Uh, and then he's holding the, um, you know, the the tongs. Yes, the class. That, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They wrap around your cerebral cortex. <laughs> and that makes very much, good. I mean, you think about it. That these lines and delivery, the way he chews up the scenery and just makes every line sort of that important. It, that's what makes him such a classic villain, and like ranking up there with with Vader and some of the massively popular villains because he's so cool, calm, and collected, and you fear him just because he's there. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Wrath of Khan is one of those movies that. Um, I wish I can unsee so I can see again. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's really it's it's so good. I love it. It really is. It really is. Um, let me ask you this because uh, you know some of the newer Star Trek movies kind of revisited this timeline. You know now we've got uh, two Star Trek timelines. Yada yada yada. Whatever that's all about. But uh, <laughs> we have. Um, Khan in the newer movies that is all the, that is played by Cumberbatch. Uh, yes. What's his name? Benedict. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Dr. Strange. Um, w- just real fast. I just wanted to get your take on, uh, on his uh, performance as Khan. Um, what, what did you think? I think it was okay. I think it was of a different flavor. Uh, mm-hmm. He had to approach it differently. I think for a different movie and a different setting. So while I was able to dis- disassociate what, Malkovan had done with his character. Um, I think, you know, Cumberbatch brings a gravitas to a role, especially with his voice and his intensity. Sure. But um, it, it would be like comparing um, two different generations of, uh, of a classic villain that you don't have the ability to really apples and apples. Malkovan mm-hmm. had his, a complete, you know, his own take and, Cumberbatch at his own take. It's like um, Nicholson and uh, Ledger. You know, two right. two really good performances, but two completely different performances, and you can enjoy both of them for what they were. Uh, but I still prefer Montalban's to uh, Cumberbatch. Um, it was a uh, there's a maniacal sort of side to um, Montalban's performance that he only he could carry over because it came from the original, the original episode. And that's what makes it uh, a gold standard from, at least from my perspective. Who the hell are you? My name is Khan. Why would a Starfleet Admiral ask a 300 year old frozen man for help? Because I am Better. At what? Everything. No, that's actually a great comparison. Um, You know, you've got two great actors that are taking on this iconic role, and they each bring something to the table. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we get, we get to, uh, some, some really great space, um, battles in, uh, Wrath mm. of Khan. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that the music really heightens the tension. Um, you know, th- this soundtrack is one of the soundtracks that is always, um, you know, readily available on my Spotify account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, songs like the Mutara Nebula, the battle in the Nebula yeah. is, uh, something that, uh, my friends and I always 
Um, we, you know, if we're driving or we're doing something that, uh, that needs some sort of dramatic accent, we'll always, <laughs> we'll always kind of hum that. Yeah. And then you've got those like those those notes like like that sort of echoey yeah. sort of it's almost when you think about it it's very somewhat reminiscent to the um, the uh, seismic explosion oh, yeah. that we all love right. you know that that yeah. sort of like echoey, echoey distant sound reverberation yeah, yeah 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 and it's very iconic yeah. and aside from the the fanfares that we hear and like the, the horn section I mean it's it's a fantastic fantastic soundtrack and i forgot how good that was until we watched it this week for for the show and it's like wow that is a phenomenal soundtrack yeah so the director really created a a submarine battle in space i mean that sequence oh. is uh is classic talk about cool um you know this was uh, more of a battle of captains for supremacy it really plays on their the state of their their psychological presence mm-hmm. when battling each other. Um, you know, it's, uh, they're chasing each other um, it, almost in the dark here. They can't yeah. see each other because they're in this nebula and they're mm-hmm. trying to outwit each other. And it's such a, such a dramatic play. Um, what would you think of it? Oh, I loved it. And I forgot how good it was because the tension, as soon as they enter that, it even got, you know, con second in commands like, well, we can't go in there. We're not going to have visuals yeah. or, or scanner. You know, we have to follow. And then, of course, Kirk just eggs him on and like laughing at your intelligence, and in he goes. Yeah. And so they're, like you said, they're flying blind, and it's almost like their history together and and competing against each other is what's going to ultimately determine who's going to win this battle. And so they're not floundering, but there's somewhat of a stalemate going on because they're just sort of like flying around and left and right and center and it takes spock to say you know you know not so many words he says khan works in a very two-dimensional way and kirk looks at that it's like ah then he says drop ten thousand feet you know and then he starts Mm -hmm. going vertical on him and then as soon as that happens then that's when the tide turns for the entire battle but those that what maybe 10 minutes Mm-hmm. A huge amount of tension. The music plays into that, and like, who's going to have the upper hand? You know, Khan's got the better ship, and the Enterprise is you know, derelict almost at this point. It's going to take a miracle for them to, to happen. So when they do drop that, and they do drop down ten thousand or thousand feet, and then they end up popping up right behind the Reliant, it's like, oh Great my gosh, shot. this is perfect. Yes. Oh. and yeah, that think, nebula. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, that entire space battle sequence is uh is I, I don't think it can be matched i mean you know i know we have the technology the newer technology in some of the star trek movies and even star wars but that sequence in wrath of khan is is so wonderfully photographed uh, the color the mm-hmm. you know the the effects of the nebula the the cat and mouse game between the two yeah. i love kirk's line he goes khan I'm laughing at the superior intellect. Full impulse power. No, sir. You have Genesis. You can have whatever you... 
<laughs> it's like they are egging each other on. It's so yeah. great. Yeah, he's he's priming that pump, and he knows because of his history with them. It's like even in that, go back to Space Seed, and when they're having that sort of reception to welcome Khan into the the Enterprise, and Khan even remarks, "You've got your first officer, uh, you know, attacking me, and you just sit there and look for my weakness." Uh, this is what he's doing again. He's it's a repeat of that play. You've got Spock finding the weakness of uh, Khan. Which ultimately leads to their, um, you know, their their win in the battle, but of course, as we know, Khan has the Genesis project on his on his ship, and he he's setting this thing out to go to detonate. Thankfully, he's got uh, Carol Marcus and his his son are on the Enterprise, uh, so they can save everybody. But um, that's Khan's ultimate play. It's like you know, guess what? I've been defeated here, but I'm going to take you out. Ultimately, I'm going to take you and i spit at you from hell or whatever that one line is yeah um <laughs> i spit at thee with my last <laughs> breath something like something like that something like that yeah with half his face on fire from hell's heart i stab at thee for hate's sake i spit my last Yeah, but let's back up a little bit because I know we uh, we got really excited for the space battle, but um, seems like Kirk settled down, huh? He was a uh, kind of a, a womanizer in the original series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's known for his uh, his antics. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it seems like uh, he settled down with Carol Marcus. Had uh, had a family at least, uh, you know, maybe not on purpose, but it happened and. You know, as uh, as difficult as relationships are, uh, here we are. Kirk has a son, mm-hmm. and you know she understood what who Kirk was and what he was, and vice versa. He knew what she was, and who knows what their visitation rights were <laughs> <laughs> with uh, transporters. Who knows that fifty fifty could be uh, very simply done. But um, yeah, the uh, the son is obviously a, a grown adult and working with uh, Carol and and ma- developing this Genesis project. So it adds that familial, you know, blood relation ten- tension to the entire story. And like you said, it, it becomes very interesting. It's like, wow, it's some of a different, a different aspect of uh, Kirk's character from what we knew him as somewhat of a womanizer in the series. He now at least tried to have a relationship and perhaps settle down and uh, probably didn't work as much as he wanted to. And again, a parallel to Han and Leia. You know, they had uh, Ben and ultimately they, you know, so they separated their ways. Go, they went back to what they're most comfortable with, you know, Leia being a senator and, and Han being the, uh, the smuggler. You sort of uh, ret- you know, retreat into what's more comfortable when things get tough. So, uh, but it's a fantastic level of tension that adds to the story. And the fact that Carol Marcus is like, you know, they're the, they're the ones who created this entire project. And yeah to see, you know, what they were able to create. And there's another interesting aspect too, that one scene where uh, they, you know, Spock doesn't even know, I think it's Spock who says that, you know, it would help if I even knew what this Genesis project was. And they mm-hmm. watched that sort of promo video from Carol, uh, at, you know, about the project itself. And that, that scene is 100% computer generated. That's one mm-hmm. of the first scenes, uh, 
that was that level of detail in modern cinema back, you know, back in 82, you've got, you've got different examples. You guys talked about it in your last week's episode about uh, Tron and, and everything. So there's different, like different shows and different movies explore, you know, experimenting with computer graphics, but that um, Genesis project as the planet was being born and the fire coming around, that was state of the art stuff back then. I remember when I was younger, you know, obviously growing up watching Star Wars and reading all I could about industrial light and magic and the special effects that uh, went into Star Wars. When I realized that uh, Star Trek also employed industrial light and magic, I remember as a kid, I remember thinking, traitors. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you work on Star Trek also? (laughs) I was pissed off, man. Not gonna lie. <laughs> oh, the almighty how, dollar. How could you? How could you? <laughs> you know, obviously, I'm very proud of uh, the work that uh, that ILM does. It's one of the reasons I uh, I really love Star Wars and really love the uh, the business of of filmmaking. I think mm. they, you know, they have shown the world that uh that the innovation of filmmaking is is something that uh that you know is is worth uh you know admiration um getting 100%. to the graphics and being able to you know uh help uh, storytellers tell their story in a way that uh is unfathomable now uh if uh if we were going to go back in time and and uh tell our younger selves that uh all the stuff that we see nowadays is is commonplace in movies yeah uh you know it blow our our socks off mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you want to skip ahead to uh to spock and uh a little bit uh, towards the ending here uh very controversial and um but uh this uh this story element really played out pretty damn good Oh my gosh. I mean, okay, well, let me, let me back you up here. So after the motion picture, the the first movie, um, like you said, Nimoy didn't want in, uh, Roddenberry's jettisoned. And the only way that Nimoy came back was with a good you know, story arc for his character. And again, another parallel to Star Wars where here you've got the sequel and his character, Nimoy's character, Spock, is given the death that he wanted. Uh, much unlike Harrison Ford, <laughs> who wanted to die, but he didn't. Um, but- I gotta make more. I gotta make more solo action figures. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm gonna live around here forever. Um, so, uh, but you're 100 right. It is a. Uh, it was a very bold move, and at this point, without knowing how well this movie was gonna be received they took a stab in the dark for what could be a, you know, a death knell to the, to the franchise. Cause he's a massively popular character. You may, right. you may, people even may see, even say that uh, Spock is more popular than Kirk in certain character, you know, in certain ways. So sure. for him to sacrifice himself uh, and it's still, my gosh, the emotional impact and it speaks to the characters. It speaks to the actors who are portraying them. And the simplicity within the scene, just within, you know, like a, you know, a plexiglass, you know, tube, uh, that emotional impact is, is massive. And my wife hadn't seen it in a while. We were just watching it tonight. Uh, star wife there, Bernadette, and she was literally tearing up. She hadn't seen this probably in 10 years. 
And she was tearing up at just how within maybe three and a half minutes, that entire relationship came from them. He was standing, watching him, and they slowly slid down that plexiglass shield and yeah. Spock died and the live long and prosper. Absolutely perfect. It, pitch, everything was 100% perfect. Ship out of danger. Yes. Yeah, a uh, controversial move, uh, as you said, uh, Spock. uh, Obviously, they had some audiences uh, test that scene. People hated it. Uh, Spock, a very beloved character. Um, But, um, you know, that really brings in a a real good notion of uh, consequence in sci-fi. And I think that's one of the things that people are kind of uh, contemplating now uh, as we watch the Kenobi series. Everybody gets stabbed and nobody dies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, S- Star Trek The Wrath of Khan really had some major consequences. But yeah, Shatner uh, originally did not want plexiglass. Um, he wanted a kind of a translucent um, uh, material so you can only see uh, like a silhouette of Kirk, of uh, of Leonard Nimoy's uh, spot. Really? Wow. Um, yeah, and he made a fuss about it, but I think uh, he lost the bet. And um, I, I don't know. I can't remember why he didn't want it. I think uh, I, I'm not <laughs> to upstage sure. Him. <laughs> to so upstage him again. Focus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I'm really glad that they put the, plas- the plexiglass because obviously you can see the performance of both actors. Um, and I want to zip back a little bit because you talk about emotion. After the action is over with, after – um, Spock runs to the engine room to do what he does to save the ship. You know, there's a little bit of calm and uh, somebody from the engineering, or I think it's Bones, um, calls up to the bridge and says, uh, you know, oh, Kirk, yes, you better, you better get down here. He instinctively turns over to the science station to I, what I think is uh, to to you know, request Spock to come with. Yes. But he realizes that Spock is not there. There is a move that uh, Shatner does, which I, it's, I find amazing. He turns over and he, you can see like something hit him right yes. there. there. I'm getting goosebumps you, right now as you're describing yeah, it. That absolutely. Is, oh my gosh. Yes. You know, he starts to get up slowly, but he, it's almost like he doesn't want to go. He knows what might be waiting for him yes oh finally he finally gets up and and goes over the to to the engine room and and obviously you know sees uh what has happened but it's it's a brilliantly acted and directed um sequence right then and there it's it's just a few seconds but you got to go back and look at it um brilliant brilliant uh performance by shatner and uh, the r- director at this point just knocks it out of the park as far as the emotionality, the concern that uh, that Kirk has for his friend. He realizes something's going something's going down. And uh, it's such such a mm. such a wonderful sequence. You're talking about maybe an inch of, of sort of like getting out of his chair and he's back in the yeah. chair realizing, oh, Spock's not here. And yeah. McCoy just said, get get your ass down here. And yeah, then he gets back can... up again and it's like a split second. That is a fantastic point. That is a sort of a sudden realization that, uh Oh, Spock's not there. That means he's down there. 
And it goes it goes back to what we were talking about the trio of of this of these stories. You've got you know Kirk, mm. Spock, and Bones. You know, yep. Bones is calling up. Kirk is answering, but you know you can tell that he wants he wants all three of them to to be together. And when he realizes that Spock is not at his station, it's pretty emotional. Oof! Don't grieve, Admiral. Just logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one yikes yeah oh man and then you know before spock goes into the chamber he you know touches mccoy's face and says remember which then now is the foundation for the next movie coming in so you've got that moment that again foresight i mean that's a that's why it's like really when you think about it how perfectly made this movie is self-contained it could be a one-off. Who knows what's going to happen next? But hey, if you want to do a sequel, we've got a we've got an out for the next movie. Everything's explained. You've got foreshadowing on on uh, on Khan's part. You've got foreshadowing on the strength of what Genesis has done and what could do. Mm-hmm. And then Spock is dead. They have a very emotional send-off, and you know Kirk drops that. Out of all the souls that I've met, Spock's is the most human and that hesitation was brilliant like very much like you just said in his captain's chair and very emotional and then he sends off he sends him off onto um you know they land they drop his casket essentially on the genesis planet and again you know throwing out there for the sequel but uh huge emotional beats in there um yeah fantastic we are assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead And yet it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow, this death takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. He did not feel this sacrifice a vain or empty one, and we will not debate his profound wisdom at these proceedings. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Others. It's funny, my so Bernadette, like I said, who watched the movie tonight, uh, she wanted me to make sure that she mentioned that uh, what her take on that final scene in the send off in the, the the torpedo bay was very well done. It was emotional, and you could tell Kirk was hesitating and holding back his stronger emotion for the rest of the crew. But she found that it rang a little bit hollow in the following scenes when he's reading in the, you know his book in the uh, in his study. And then we're, when they're on the uh, the bridge looking at the the planet, uh, she found that there was too much of a jump from um, sadness and despair into hopefulness for the future. 
And there wasn't enough, especially with the amount of weight that we just saw when Kirk and Spock were, you know, at, you know, side by side on the, on either side of the plexiglass. She found a little bit too quick that uh, they're over that sadness. And now I feel young, I feel young. And uh, mm. so she's wanting me to bring that up as a uh, counterpoint to uh, our gushing over <laughs> Shatner's <laughs> performance. <laughs> Leave it up to our wife to screw things up for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, honey. Sure. <laughs> fine. Great. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful ending. And like you said, you know, they have an out if they wanted to continue the story. And uh, I think they did. Yeah. Spock, yeah. Spock dies, or did he? Oh, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's really great. You mentioned in your notes um, regarding uh, Leonard Nimoy reading the iconic, uh, you know, uh, intro for Star Trek. And I think yeah. that really helps to. Uh, uh, no pun intended, uh, put the nail in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, put the nail in the photon torpedo. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but I think they, the, you know, that decision, I think really, um, I don't know, helped uh, continue that, uh, that emotion. I, uh, I think it's uh, really great. Yeah. No. And, you know, and from what I've, you know, learned since then, uh, this, it's funny when you think about it and it separates the motion picture from the rest of them, but this is a, the first of an unofficial trilogy of movies, the right. Genesis trilogy that people, you know, and fans have, have uh, sort of latched upon where the next two movies the search for Spock and the voyage home sort of bookends this, this entire Genesis project arc. And uh, it's really fascinating when you think about that is that you have a, a movie that launched the franchise is a movie viable franchise, but it's the second movie or the sequel that really put it in its stride and uh, set off the, the accepted um, every even movie is the best movie of the franchise. And that's one of those mm. Star Trek lores where the, the even numbered movies far outweigh the importance and the acceptance of the odd numbered movies. And it's like, it's almost guaranteed that every, every second movie is going to be better than the last one. Hmm. Interesting. The Genesis trilogy. Yeah. Very well tied together. Wait, somebody planned a trilogy. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Talk Charles. What are you talking about? I don't know. Nobody Some does sort of that. Nobody does that. Well, Charles, uh, we are over the one hour mark. And like I said, when we get together and talk nerd stuff, it always goes in a blink of an eye. And uh, I hate to call it uh, quits here, but it is uh, such a wonderful, uh, always a wonderful time talking to you, Charles. Next time we'll have Pat on. Um, maybe we'll force him to watch uh, some Star Trek and uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit about that. But uh, Charles, thank you very much for uh, joining me on uh, this edition of the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Final thoughts? One of the best sequels ever made and perhaps one of the best first movies of a franchise ever made, <laughs> depending on your perspective. <laughs> sure, sure. That's fine. 
Absolutely. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, a wonderful movie and a wonderful franchise, The Other White Meat, Mm -hmm. as we would say. Um, Star Trek, Star Wars. Uh, Awesome, awesome discussion, Charles. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell the uh, three listeners that don't know about you that are listening to us uh, where to find you guys? Well, we are a Conversations podcast. Uh, we are a Star Wars podcast, and uh, I sometimes dabble in Star Trek, as you can see. Uh, Pat <laughs> will not, and will thoroughly refuse, unless I'm back when he's maybe he's got like malaria and has a fever of some sort. We can convince him to watch some Star Trek or something. Um, but uh, we can be found at Conversations.com. Uh, that's our sort of mothership for the website. Uh, we are on most podcatchers that you can uh, use, uh, Conversations Star Wars Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Suations, at Facebook, and uh, on Instagram at Conversations. And uh, we are also on uh, we are Linktree, where Linktree link.tree forward slash conversations where you can see some of our t-shirts um maybe they've been taken down i don't know (laughs) it happens every second week or so but um as much as the pod father who i'm speaking to right now we are proud members of the red five network and uh that amazing assortment of podcasts and we are forever grateful to be part of that network If you guys have any thoughts on uh, what you just heard, any final thoughts on Star Trek, the wrath of Khan, if you wanted to continue the conversation, please send us an, uh, an email over at scare scuttlebutt at gmail.com. Or we also like to hear your voice when you call Mm. the scare of scuttlebutt hotline at seven, seven, three, two, three, four, eight, six, five, nine. Give us a call 24 hours a day. Operators are standing by to take (laughs) your call. At 773-234-8659. Call today. Tell a friend to call. Just call. (laughs) Donations are welcomed. (laughs) Excellent, Charles. Thank you so much. This is Ro. That's Charles. What do you say? That's the scuttlebutt. listener just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the red five network family red five network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love so the next time you're itching for quality content make sure you head over to red five network.com you'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more all wings report in it's the red five network